Welcome to the Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of Reporter, the Reporter Podcast. As you can tell, I am bringing the energy for this episode. Reporter, if you don't know, is a podcast devoted to picking the brains of news reporters and anchors into their daily reporting strategies, experiences, and challenges. Reporters also discuss their routines, wildest moments, and what they do for fun. With an eye on the state of local journalism and a little bit of national, Reporter aims to be the go-to source for stories from the front lines of local reporting. Now, this episode of the Reporter Podcast is sponsored by a company called Layer Origin Nutrition. Layer Origin is based in Ithaca, New York, just a few minutes from Cornell University, which is where the company founders met when they were together in a lab as part of the food science department. They decided to team up and try to innovate their way towards some solutions for the most common health problems. They were tired of seeing their relatives, and in some cases even themselves, have to turn to expensive and dangerous prescription drugs for basic problems like high cholesterol, blood sugar issues, digestive problems, and more. So after three years of research and development, patents and trademarks, these scientists launched Layer Origin Nutrition in February of 2020. Their newest product is called HMO Prebiotic Plus Probiotic, and it's the ultimate gut health solution, combining 100 billion CFUs of probiotic with 1,000 milligrams of prebiotic. What's quite fascinating is that HMO stands for human milk oligosaccharide, which is a component of breast milk credited with building an infant's gut lining and immune system. Layer Origin has taken those same benefits and brings them to adults with its HMO supplements. For more information on Layer Origin Nutrition, go to www.layerorigin.com and reporter listeners can use the code 15reporter to save 15% off their order. So that's L-A-Y-E-R-O-R-I-G-I-N.com and the code is the numbers 15 and then R-P-R-T-R. I also like to disclose that I am an investor in Layer Origin. All right, this episode's guest is Caitlin McCulley. She is currently the founder and CEO of Outlet, which is a new journalism outlet, or at least looking at the news and the news business. Uh, Specifically on LinkedIn, Caitlin has it listed as a news media company dedicated to sharing stories that matter. I am super excited about this episode. Uh, I don't know Caitlin very well. In fact, I've never met her in person, but we had the joy of talking uh, for this interview. I first came across her when I was actually perusing the Storytellers group on Facebook. If you're in um, broadcast journalism, you should check that out if you're not already familiar with it. There's a lot of great stuff on there. There's also some junk, but it's like anything. you got to filter it. And uh, definitely some cool uh, opinions and tips and tricks and whatnot. So that's where I came across Caitlin. And I saw a post from her where she basically was expressing kind of her disillusionment with the news business in some ways and explaining about how she got out of it and started Outlet, uh, her own company. So I was really excited to talk with her for a reporter podcast and reached out to her. And thankfully, she joined me for this episode. Caitlin's background, she went to Samford University. Um, She was an intern at MSNBC circa 2009. 
Um, and then she began her career as an MMJ, multimedia journalist, at CBS 42 in Birmingham, Alabama. After that, Caitlin made a pretty big jump up to ABC 13 in Houston. She uh, covered the, the hurricane there as one of her largest stories. And then she made her way up to Boston in 2017 and was there for three years at WHDH. That is... 7 News in Boston, uh, top 10 market there. And uh, like I said, since October, she just left the industry. And she is now the founder and CEO of Outlet, where she runs a podcast of her own and has some big plans. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Caitlin McCulley. Caitlin, thanks so much for uh, joining the Reporter Podcast. Happy to have you. Um, and you have such an interesting story, in my opinion. Um, you last worked at WHDH in Boston, and now you no longer work there. Um, if you could, <laughs> yeah, if you could kind of dive into uh, let our, our listeners know about uh, how that happened and, and what you're doing now. Yeah, so I left my job in a pandemic. You know, great time to to make make that switch. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I've been doing reporting for 10 years in various cities. And my most recent city was in Boston, as you said. And it just got to the point where when I looked over how I was spending my time on each day and the stories that I was covering, I wasn't proud of my work on far too many occasions. Um, you know, I, I really am interested in, in stories that answer the whys, the bigger picture questions, um, you know, do some more investigative work going a little bit deeper. Um, and I just found that the appetite for uh, for that kind of reporting has decreased in local news, not just the station that I was working at in particular. And so as I was looking at other opportunities and where I wanted to go, I didn't see anything that I was really excited about. Um, it wasn't really my intention in the beginning to start my own independent news company. I never really set out to do that. But as, as, as I was looking for things that that aligned with my goals and morals and values, I didn't see anything that I was excited about. So I just decided to try it on my own. And I know a lot of people, um, a lot of journalists are starting to do this, uh, starting their own um, organizations on social media, on Instagram. And I kind of think that's where the industry is gonna go is that people are, are going to start doing their own um, outlets and reporting and, streaming really you know we're we're definitely going in that route that's where the audience is so that's kind of why i i just decided to let to leave and and try my own thing and i'm kind of in ex exploration mode now yeah absolutely um so your uh your company's called outlet <clears throat> um and just just briefly uh talk about the the vision for you know what it is or what you want it to be so put simply i want to find a way to share stories that matter and I know that's a that's a broad statement. And, and I mean, how do you define what matters? Um, to me, what matters comes down to what connects us as humans and as citizens of our country. And we've seen so much division and uh, strife, especially in the last last ten years, really, where where people are really in their own worlds of information, and it's almost hard to communicate with people who get their news from different sources than you. Um, and so at the same time, I find that we have a lot in common, like at the very base level. And um, my experience as a reporter on the ground talking to thousands of people over the years 
convinces me of that, that we really do have a lot in common. And it's, you know, what, what we're seeing with the news climate is just, I mean, it's a mess to put it simply there. I think mean, everybody knows news is a mess. And what I keep hearing from so many people on the left and on the right uh, is that they just want a place to find the facts. They, they are confused about this this ecosystem of information and, and opinion and politics, and they don't know where they can just get the facts. There's an information overload. And uh, so with Outlet, I wanted to try to find a way to do stories that can explain the whys, that can include context, that can include historical perspective and provide some, some understanding that the local news market and even national news really doesn't have uh, the bandwidth to to cover uh, and doesn't have the, I guess, the business interest to cover as well. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So when you were uh, in newsrooms and, you know, there's, for people who work in newsrooms, they know that there's, you know, usually a, a morning meeting and an afternoon meeting where basically the stories that are going to be covered that day are largely decided outside of um, breaking news, which would be on the spot. But um, what was it about the day-to-day -day specifically, or what are some examples of the types of stories where you would just be, you know, kind of banging your head against the wall metaphorically thinking, what are we doing? Um, well, when you ask that question, the first story that comes to mind is a story that I was assigned about a man who claimed he was attacked by a coyote. Um, and this story took place probably an hour and a half or two hours outside of Boston. And, you know, I, I don't even remember how we came across this story. I think he must've emailed into the newsrooms, all of them. And so all of us, all, all of the producers in these local news stations in Boston were all like, oh, this is a great story. And so I was sent out to go interview this man an hour and a half away from Boston. And I get there and I knew the guy like, there's no way to prove the guy was attacked by a coyote. And in fact, he starts walking us through what happened. And he said, the thing jumped on his back and he's like attacking it with a knife. And, you know, and then he ran and to check on his chickens and he, you know, he just had this wild reenactment of what happened. I mean, and the guy didn't have any in injuries. He, like he claims his sweatshirt was torn. Um, but he, you know, he's saying a coyote jumped on his back and I'm like, okay, I interview the guy. I've done a lot of stories and I'm like, this guy is not, he's not with it. We, we can't put this on TV. Like we, we can't do this. And I, you know, I call back to this, to the producers at the station, like, well, how do we know he's lying? How do we know? I'm like, how do we know he's telling the truth? Like when, what, what value does it have that, that we're putting this on television to, to millions of people? Um, when there's all kinds of things that are going on that would actually affect their day-to-day -day life and that they need to know to make good decisions uh, for themselves and their family. And yet this is what we're putting on TV. So in my effort to try to disprove this, so I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to go to the police station and surely the police will tell me, okay, no, this guy's full of shit. Like he's not, he's not telling the truth, but I get there and they're like, well, we investigate every report that we receive. And I'm like, you guys aren't giving me anything here that I can give back to my managers at the station. Um, and so we put that on TV, we put it on TV, you know, and, and I emphasized, you know, in the report, like, according to this guy, he says this happened, 
he has no injuries. We can't uh, basically corroborate what he's saying. But, but why are we putting on an, on TV? We're putting it on TV because it's entertainment and because this guy is good television. You know, he's people watching this guy in their living rooms. They're going to say, oh, who is this crazy guy? Like, you know, it's entertainment. And so stories like that, while, you know, it wasn't an outright falsehood that we put on TV, we also couldn't prove that it was true. And it wasn't serving our viewers. It wasn't helping them make smarter decisions. Um, and I felt really bad about it because I'm like, what am I doing with my time? And how did I spend my day today? Now, granted, all of the stories that I covered weren't that silly. There, you know, I was able to do some good work within this very imp imperfect system that is TV news. And that's kind of what I always held on to was as long as I can, you know, latch on to certain stories that I feel proud of, then all the other bullshit is kind of whatever. It goes with the job. But right. as the time went on, I just that balance was too out of whack. Yeah, man, that is, that is very well said. And that is such a good example. I, I just like really totally understand um, that example and have been through that, you know, umpteen times myself, very similar situations where in the, in the best part of that whole story, the most telling part, <clears throat> excuse me, is when the producers said, well, how do we know he's lying? You know, or how do we know he's not telling the truth? And it was like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not the standard. That's not, um, you know, what you should be thinking. And look, I mean, I would be very frustrated with producers across my career. Having said that, I also was friends with many of them, you know, outside of work sure. and, you know, they're great people um, on a personal level. And I understand they're under tremendous pressure to get the show on. And that's what I was going to say is that I think it really comes, you know, obviously from the top down. So it's the producers yep. are under immense pressure they're on a, on a clock, on, on a deadline, you know, to get this show together. And, and sometimes it barely comes together. But having said that, um, there has to be a better a journalistic standard. You know, it can't just be, well, you know, what am I going to put in that, in that hole? Right. So it's got to be, oh, wait a minute. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like we made a mistake sending you out there. Um, let's regroup, you know, and, and have you come back and just front something at the monitor about, you know, the mayor or, you know, or whatever. But, um, <laughs> Man, you know, that's a great example. I mean, I, a similar example I had was, and I still remember it, this is just what comes to my mind, is mm -hmm. you know, we, we started relying in Pittsburgh on picking up, you know, what they called criminal complaints, you know, the, uh, the, the dockets from the courthouse of, of crimes that had occurred, you know, that we would search and look through the dockets online, look for ones that were just like batshit crazy, and then go pick <laughs> those up. And then read the whole narrative and be like, oh, yeah, this is a story or this is not a story. Wow. And we started yeah. doing that like every day. Like anytime it was a slow news day. I mean, it was just and it's fine. I mean, sometimes you get some great scoops through doing that that are worthy mm -hmm. stories, you know, good news value. But, you know, we were doing this like almost every day. It just became like a joke. I felt like a messenger, like a courier more than a reporter in some ways. We'd be scanning like pages of documents, sending them back to the station so a producer could then read them and decide if it was newsworthy. But the example I'm thinking of is we had a, um, a story about a guy who was in prison and who I think was then let out of prison, but then was writing letters back to the prison about how a mouse had gotten inside his brain. And it was something to that effect. And the producers wanted to run with it. And, I, and me and the photographer were like, we are pretty sure this guy is dealing with mental health issues and that right. this doesn't really affect anybody. And they're like, no, right. this is very juicy. This is good TV. It's crazy. We're like, yes, it is crazy. It's literally crazy. Um, and and they run like the so the photographer I was with actually took a stronger stand than I did, and he was just like, I will not cover this. I if I have to quit today, 
I will not cover this story. This is not a good story. For, yeah, good for and, him. Yeah, and I mean, he's, you know, he's currently, I think, out of the business and in like Seattle right now doing photography of, of wildlife. Good for him. You know, I think he's very happy right now, but. Right. Um, and I mean, I was with him. I mean, I, you know, it's just, it's just unbelievable the stuff that, and, and I, you know, I think sometimes the producers especially just get lost in this, you know, um, bright eye, I don't know what the word is, like crazy eyed thing of like looking, like you said, for like, what's good TV, not what is good journalism. And, and maybe that's a fundamental problem of just, you know, what is this business? Like, is news a business or is it a public service? I heard someone, like a college journalist wrote the other day on, on Twitter, you know, what, what everyone's forgetting is that journalism is a public service. And I thought to myself, is it? I mean, I, I know that it, it is. I mean, there's- ethics. It should be. Could be. You know, and, and go ahead. No, no. I mean, you know, but at the end of the day, I mean, we're, we're talking about millions of dollars in paid advertising. So that's, that's yeah. an interesting public service. It's always towed the line between public service and business model. You know, I think that's part of what it has to reckon with. Well, and that's, that's always been the dissonance for those of us who got into the business for the public service. You know, we got into this for that reason. Uh, but I know I didn't realize to the extent when I got it, you know, I got into this all idealistic and wanting to help people, wanting to shed light on the things that needed to be talked about, as do so many of us. And then we get in and we're like, wait a minute, this is a business. And and how, how do those things um, affect each other? And and can they, should they, you know, this TV news in, in, in particular, it is an entertainment business. Yeah, it is. And, and, I, it's yeah. an entertainment infotainment as you know, as, as you've probably heard. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Infotainment is, is what it's become or what it is. Um, and then that was like, you know, whenever that uh, phrase was coined, you know, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I mean, now it's just taken on obviously to a whole new, whole new level in, mm -hmm. in some ways, you know, with the, uh, outside forces that are kind of driving against it. And yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you bring up a good point. I mean, for so long, I kind of defended, you know, even like some of friends of mine would, would kind of like, be like, oh, you're in local news. <laughs> and I would be like, no, no, exactly. shut up. Like, we do really right. important stuff. Like, you're an asshole. Um, you know, and like vehemently defend my career as, as I probably should. Um, but it got to the point, like you said, where I felt the same way. I mean, I was do like, basically, it got to the point where I would say like one out of every 15 stories I did, I felt proud of. I was like, man, that was worth it. Like that was some mm -hmm. good stuff. And the other 14 were just like, wow, what are we doing? You know, this is like, can't believe I did that with my time today. Yeah. Like we drove four hours in the dark eating dinner out of a car for a guy who says he was attacked by a coyote. And we just, all of us, it wasn't just our station, you know, it's, it's all of us showed up and put that on TV. Right. It's incredible. Yeah. And, and what I also started to not like was that if I, let's just pretend I was doing that coyote story and I drive that far and we interview this guy and he's a real character, right? He's like wacky. And if I start asking him some like tough questions or questions that kind of like almost play along with his wackiness, I'm like, so how big was it? Like, of you know, course. And we all did that. You right. Know? Like, were you scared by the teeth? Like, you know, <laughs> right. did, did it hurt? how bad did it hurt on a scale of one to 10? How right. many, how many coyote attacks have you had before in your life? Will you go outside right. ever again? Like sometimes I would just start fucking around because I'm like, this is just like ridiculous. <laughs> and then the producers would be like, don't use that soundbite. Don't use that soundbite. That, that goes too far. And I was just like- And it's like, he said it. Yeah. He said it, yeah. you were championing this ridiculous story. You know, it's just like, mm -hmm. pick a lane, pick a lane. You know, we- Yeah. Um, so clearly I, I still have a lot of frustration <laughs> over this uh, in news, but- it's, it's natural, it's natural. And I think- I got tired of fighting that battle, um, but it doesn't mean that I don't care about journalism because I really do. 
But I don't think that that model is going to be, be the way that, that we can continue to do it going forward. Yeah. So one thing I want to ask next about your journey and your decision. So, so when did you leave WHDH? I left October 1st of this past year. Oh, wow. Okay. I did not realize it was that recent. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and what I was going to ask is, it reminds me a little bit of like, you know, we've had these, um, these like op-eds come out from people within the current presidential administration who've said like, you know, I disagree with a lot of the things that the president is doing, but I'm going to stay on the inside so that I can change it from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And I can like protect the country from, you know, what I believe are some of like the wrongdoings that he's doing. And, and you can extrapolate this type of scenario to even besides the Trump presidency, but you know, even if let's just pretend it's like star Wars, you know, you could say there was like a stormtrooper who's like, I'm going to stay under my hood because I, you know, want to take down Darth Vader, you know, whatever. I don't, I'm not even a star Wars guy, but, <laughs> right. but the point being like the question I'm obviously leading up to is like, did you ever consider, okay, I'm going to stay in the business and try to change it from the inside out, you know, versus leaving. That was why I stayed for so long. That was why I stayed for so long is because I felt like I can still do good work here. And if, if I, you know, work my way up in influence and in, you know, go to bigger markets and bigger cities, I'll have more of a say then of what I can cover, or I'll have more of a say in, in uh, how I present the stories. And that just didn't happen. I mean, granted, there, I have so much respect for, for people like that who are still in the business and who do fight that fight every day, because you can get some good work in and you can, you can do a good job. Um, but for me, I just felt like I would be more effective outside of it um, to try to disrupt the system, I guess, than working from inside. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, um, I didn't really leave for the exact same reasons and I, and I may go back someday, um, but uh, that definitely rings true. And I, I pretty much felt the same way. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I think there were a number of, a number of examples where, you know, there were meetings where I did make a difference and like, I, I would sure. think to myself, like, thank God I was there because otherwise we would have ran the story about like the cotton candy theft or something, you know, thank goodness I swayed this newsroom in a different direction. And we covered a story that ultimately was exclusive and nobody else had and was like really important. And, mm -hmm. um, and I'm not trying to like pat myself on the back, obviously. And I don't think you are either. I mean, it's, we're not trying to be arrogant. It's just like a fact of the matter. I mean, it just is, you know, I hate the term. It is what it is, but you know, that's just the way it, it, it was, I think. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the problem is, and if, 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 if listeners to this podcast are familiar with like the business world, it does not scale like one reporter in a newsroom who has, you know, who's trying to fight the good fight and have some good news judgment. That's not enough. Like that does not scale to the point where it's going to, you know, reform an entire industry. And so I think that's mm -hmm. what ends up happening, you know, and occasionally reporters become news directors, but then you have a general manager above you who would call the shots, you know, and the general manager has the station group or the company. And so there's only so much change you're going to make as a, as a single reporter, producer, even anchor, you know, in a newsroom. And so that's, you know, part of the frustration. And I think going back to what you said earlier about the news being a business, ultimately that's what news stations answer to is the business side. I mean, if, if people, you know, I'm sure you hear a lot of times that people say they just want the facts. They don't want you know, they don't want the entertainment. They don't want any of this. They say this, but then their actions don't show that. And we know by what they click online, we know by what keeps them watching the television, what kinds of content they're actually paying attention to versus what they say they want. And so at the end of the day, 
these news stations, um, both local and national, are giving people what they want in order to stay afloat. Um, you know, when we had only three news stations back in the day and people didn't have a choice of where they got their content, of course the audience was there. Um, of course you could be um, more boring and less entertaining because you weren't competing with the endless amounts of content that are online, that are on social media, that all of these other um, outlets that are competing for people's attention. So I think that as, as the industry has changed and with the onset of the internet, I mean, news stations are increasingly under pressure to keep people's attention and how they do that, I think has become ethically questionable. Um, when we put things on TV that are sensationalized, that are entertainment, that are using emotion words to um, keep people watching, to scare them, we know that fear motivates people um, and it keeps their attention. So, you know, I think that's where, that, I don't think the news industry can come back from that, the TV news industry. Um, I think we're already down this path. Um, we're fighting over the shrinking pool of viewers and eventually it's gonna die. So how do we, as an industry, make ourselves more uh, ready to adapt? And um, because we need, you know, people need to know what's going on. They need journalists. It's in our, you know, it's in our constitution. Like this is an important public service but this business is not the way to do it, I think. Yeah, not the way that not the way it's being done now. And, and you know, I mean, we're already we've already seen the gutting of America's newspapers yep. to the point where city council meetings are not being covered. And, you know, I've sat through my fair share, way too many city council meetings and they're boring as, as heck, but they're really important stuff happening there. Right. And uh, it's just insane to me. It's so crazy that what we've let happen. Um, and, you know, I mean, you, you see it just like totally in action and the microcosm or whatever of it is like, you know, there's even like hedge funds now that own newspapers and it's just yep. like, they don't give a shit. I mean, they're just going to gut it and, you know, sell it for its parts. And um, I mean, look, I mean, newspapers also, you know, did something wrong throughout the decades in terms of their profitability and should have been thinking of better ways to be profitable. And the internet has killed off newspapers because, you know, classifieds and obituaries were so much of what they did, but still right. like, it's just very sad. And, you know, um, thankfully there's some places like, you know, what is it like the Harvard Neiman lab, you know, looks at this and it's Stanford, you know, the night, but I mean, it, I don't know if it's happening fast enough. So it's very, uh, very frightening. So, all right. So we've, uh, kind of bemoaned the, the status of local news <laughs> quite a bit now. Um, so, and we kind of talked about why you got into news to begin with, because you, you know, thought you could make a change. And I, I felt the same thing. Um, did you want to be in news since you were a, a small child? No, I didn't. I I grew up um, doing theater and singing, and I was involved in a lot of performing arts growing up. And so I also loved to write, um, and I was always reading and writing. And so as I was looking towards careers that I could possibly do, I was like, oh, well, maybe I can do something with both of these skills, like being able to speak in front of people, um, you know, and also being able to write. So that's kind of how I got into that in college and it seemed to be a really natural fit. Yeah. Um, and where just briefly like 60 seconds or less, where did you work before Boston? So my first job was in Birmingham, Alabama, which is where I went to college. And then I was fortunate enough to get my MMJ job, first job out of, out of college in Birmingham. So I worked in Birmingham, um, then Houston, the ABC affiliate, and then in Boston. Okay. It's always funny in the news business. We probably know like 
70 of the same people, um, but don't know that we know them, but that's, it's always funny. Probably. Friend, yeah. A friend <laughs> of mine from Houston sent me a picture uh, on through like Facebook messenger a few uh, like a year ago or two. And uh, she was like, I'd worked with her at my first station. And then she was like out to lunch just as friends with like two other reporters from that market. You know, one who I'd worked with in my like third station and one who I'd worked with my second station. And they were just like, oh, we all like your name came up and we were all like, oh, wait, you know him, you know, you know, it's just like, and that happens with all of us. It's just like, it's, you, you don't know at the beginning that it's such a small world. It's kind of, it's very fascinating. Mm -hmm. It's almost made me think at times that I should become a, a TV agent just because like you end up having so many connections right? once you do Absolutely. it in the business, but I'm actually pretty anti-agent. So I, I, Same. I, I couldn't do that <laughs> with a good conscience. I, that could be a whole different story, but yeah. That, yeah, that's a that's a whole other thing. I would say to any young reporters listening, um, you you definitely don't need an agent at the beginning of your career. So uh, avoid the the trap that I fell into, where you uh, hand somebody a bunch of your money every month, um, and they keep taking it. <laughs> and they keep taking it, and it's really hard to get away from them as well. So mm -hmm. uh, be careful with that. It, I, I fell into that trap because it's such an ego boost to, to to walk around going, "Yeah, I have an agent. I uh, my I'm calling my agent right now." It's so funny. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so that's a whole other conversation. But um, and uh, so then, so from Houston to Boston, you said. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and what made you make that jump? Because Houston's a, a fairly big market. Was it just the the particular opportunity that Boston offered, or were you from the Northeast? Um, you know, in Houston, I was part time MMJ. So. I'm sure you've talked on your podcast about multimedia journalists and, you know, a lot of people having to shoot their own video and write and edit and all of that. So I was brought on in, in Houston as an MMJ slash reporter. So about some of the time I was shooting my own video in Houston, which is a really big city for that. And also um, other times I would work with a photographer. So my motivation to move to, to Boston or, or another market, uh, a lot of it was because I wanted to be able to focus just on reporting and I didn't want to have to shoot as much. Um, so that was part of it. I, I liked the Northeast. I really liked New York also. Um, to be honest, I was trying to get to New York and then um, there just weren't opportunities that uh, were available to me at that point. So Boston was interested. My agent at the time was like, hey, why don't you go to, go to Boston? I'd never been to Boston. And so I came up for an interview and I really liked the city. Um, it's a really cool city and I, I enjoy living here. So that was, those were kind of two of the reasons. Got it. But no, I'm from, I'm from Pensacola, Florida originally. <laughs> what would you say was, uh, I mean, it's, this is probably a difficult question, but what would you say is, you know, the best or one of the best experiences from your news career? Mm. Maybe a story um, where you covered or, you know, a, a trip you took or something to that effect. You know, the stories that stick out to me that I'm the most proud of over the years are the ones where I've been able to see a direct impact of my reporting and seeing it help someone, help a family, help an individual. Um, and those can be small stories, you know, where somebody calls your newsroom or they send you a tip and they need help with this or that, like the city isn't doing what they should be doing and you kind of work through their problem and um, there's some resolution at the end. Uh, in Houston, I covered Hurricane Harvey, which, you know, was a really, <laughs> well, it was quite the experience. Um, that was a few weeks before I moved up to Boston, actually. And there was a time covering Harvey where there were volunteers that had come down from Kentucky, from Tennessee, all different kinds of states. And they had brought their own fishing boats to help rescuers 
get people out of these flooded out neighborhoods um, because they were first responders were just overwhelmed um, with the number of people that needed to be rescued out of their homes. So I was able to team up with this group of volunteers from Kentucky and I hopped on their fishing boat and the, the photographer and I, we had our, uh, our Dejero and camera, we hopped in their fishing boat and it was, I mean, we were with them for hours and hours and hours into the night um, going through these neighborhoods that were totally flooded out. I mean, the water was up to the roof. Um, and it was a really surreal experience because I ended up using Google Maps on my phone to navigate our rescue boat through this flooded out neighborhood to get to people that couldn't get out of their houses. And I had people messaging me on Twitter saying, hey, can you check this address? Can you go to this address? I haven't heard from my family. I haven't heard from my friend who lives there. So we were pulling up to these houses and the volunteers were getting out of the water, opening the doors, seeing if there was anybody inside. Um, and we were loading people onto our boat. Um, all of this was, some of it was on, on live TV, loading people on our boat with their, their cats in cages, their dogs, yes. and like literally helping people to get out of their flooded houses. And that was quite the experience. And I felt, um, I think that was the most involved I've gotten in a story as a reporter. You know, usually you don't want to make you don't want to become a part of the story. That's kind of a, um, you know, a thing you try to avoid. But at this point, it was, it was uh, necessary and and interesting. So I felt like that was a way we were definitely helping people get information about their family members and help people get out. Yeah, that I mean, I, I just saw some something about Harvey the other day. That was in 2017, right? Yes. Yeah, and I I just totally forgotten the sheer magnitude of how crazy that was I mean it was just absolutely mm -hmm. insane I wasn't even you know obviously wasn't there but just the the images on TV friends of mine who were reporting on that in in Houston um unbelievable I mean just really mm -hmm. really crazy situation I mean I remember like that was like when JJ Watt raised all that money for the victims yep. and you know I had friends like lose their houses I mean it's just unbelievable stuff um like it's just the news cycle these days is so fast and there's been so much so many like unbelievable life-changing world-changing events it's like it's so hard to keep track at this point of you know things things that have happened that you know at the time mm -hmm. just seemed like this is the biggest thing in the world right now and then a few days later a few weeks later on to the next, next thing you know? um it is it's crazy um yeah i i like i'm having a weird moment of like deja vu where i think i like and who knows it might have been someone else but i'm almost like remembering seeing some of your tweets or something i mean you know obviously there were a lot of reporters tweeting but as soon as you said the thing about the gps and the boats and all that i was like i it just i'm having this moment where i'm like remembering a lot of those <laughs> tweets coming back and you know people in in like practical wetsuits and their you know cameras yep. and microphones and being in those little boats and man what a, what an experience that's a good answer it was wild um, yeah but i totally hear you and feel you on those um the stories that are very small but you know the reporter steps in and literally can change someone's life, you know, and no one really cares that much. It's just like a day turn story. And for that person, though, it makes a huge difference. You know, you're basically fighting for them or, you know, fighting for the truth, but it ends up helping them. And right. um, I think as a particularly a local news reporter, you end up meeting so many people and you end up seeing that there's this really fascinating and kind of sad gray area in society where it's like in between legal agencies and the government and then like everyday people where like, there's this whole, it's like a Venn diagram and there's a circle where, you know, there's nobody to help you. There's nobody to help you. There's no right. 
like maybe you could find a social worker to help you but like other than that there's like really nobody and so the news actually ends up filling that gap and it i i had no idea about that until i got into the news and i was like holy shit like this is this is crazy that there's no one for the nowhere for these people to turn other than it's a great local point. news you know um and so it was kind of a good feeling to help those people where you could as, as long as you know the story was in pursuit of the truth and the facts but um mm. it uh it's, it's also sad in a way too so we'll kind of move on here to um to something else so um get on to another question for you um so you know we've we talked a, a long time about um uh you know what what's broken with especially local news but even even part of national news i mean what do you think we can do to um you know, to, to fix it, to make it better, to, you know, maybe attract people to the industry who are a little brighter, who have, you know, the right ethics, um, any ideas? I mean, it's, it's a huge question. There's people that study this probably for a living, but what are your thoughts? Well, so I've been looking at this question too, uh, a lot and talking to a lot of other people who are smarter than I am and have written books and have, you know, been looking at this problem for a long time. And I think there's a reason it's not immediately solved. It's a really complicated and difficult problem. Um, I think your question about how do we attract better talent, and I don't wanna use the word talent, but but brighter people, smarter people, people um, who are not for whatever reason interested in journalism, that's a really good question. And I think it comes down to money. Like in order to attract anyone to any position, you have to be able to pay them well. And you know, most of us who started out in this business we, you know, we got paid very, very little, which it's kind of a, an ongoing joke in the industry. You know, it's like, well, how much do you get paid at your first job? And, you know, we joke about it like $18,000, $23,000, you know, but it's a real problem. Um, when, when the model does not support um, paying people well. So I think that's, that's part of it. I don't know. I don't think that that will ever change in local news, the way it's set up now, especially now when you have uh, as you mentioned, media companies that are buying out all these small stations and newspapers, um, that's going to have to come from a different model. And, you know, so so whoever can figure out a way to to be able to to make make journalism a, um, a higher paying job, I mean, I think we'd all want that. Um, but I think that that does play into part of part of the problems of, of attracting good talent. Um, and what was your other question you asked about? I mean, that, that was pretty much it. And we can just kind of have a general back and forth discussion on this. I mean, I think, you know, I think you're right. You know, the pay is a big issue. And um, I mean, probably one of the worst parts about it is the, in, in the irony is that then you meet people on stories and a lot of them think you're making four times what you're actually making. Um, yeah. And so that plays into this, you know, thing that I think part of, part of America thinks that, you know, reporters are arrogant or elite and sometimes they are. Um, but we have makeup people, hair yeah. people, you know. Um, right, that's the other running joke. Outfits. That's the other running joke, uh, right. Um, yeah. And, you know, but the reality is that, you know, and, and that, that's born from a bit of truth, I think, probably back in, in maybe the late 70s or 80s. You know, sure. maybe the 80s were the boom times of local news, you know, the Ron Burgundy type era, you know, where <laughs> anchors in Cincinnati are making a million dollars or San Diego but, you know, those times are over, far from over and, uh, or, you know, definitely over. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just such a, a misconception that we're making a ton of money for the most part, especially the field reporters and producers. And, um, you know, but 
but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, I think it's like a lot of things, you know, I've talked to someone about a, a, an attorney who I know about this recently. And he said, you know, it's actually kind of a similar problem with politics as well. You know, how do you get the yes. best people to run for office whenever they can make so much more in the private sector? In the private sector. Yeah. And that's been a problem for a long time. It's not nothing really new, but, you know, and then you kind of have people and this is, you know, probably been the case this is probably the case to some degree on, on both sides of the aisle who are kind of like like Looney Tunes, you know, running for office because they, they can do it. I mean, you know, there's there's not mm-hmm. someone better who, who's challenging them. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's kind of a thing to be solved is this issue of salary. And, you'd, you know, I think the model is that you hope that people do it to do it for the ethics of it, you know, for the uh, to be to be for, you know, what's the word, um, you know, the morals of virtuous. It. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for virtuous. But, um, it, you know, and that I guess that worked for a while, but it gets to a point where, you know, people kind of, uh, you know, leave, you know, get tired of it uh, yeah. in, in both cases, maybe. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. One area that I've been really interested in exploring more is user generated content. And I mean, looking at at these stories, really, that are being posted to TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and social media channels. A lot of it is, I don't know how familiar you are with TikTok. I really wasn't until these last few months. I mean, I was aware of it, but I thought it was just kind of silly dance videos and, you know, only entertainment. But I've been looking at it lately um, with a different lens and and particularly when it comes to coronavirus. And there are so many stories there that people are just posting and, um, you know, talking about their experiences with coronavirus, like what it's like, what what they're going through, what their family is going through. And there's, these are some really compelling first person narratives. And so what I'm thinking about lately is, is there a way to meld user generated content, which is, I mean, everybody already has iPhones, everybody, you know, smartphones are, are everywhere. Like this device that we have now that, you know, didn't exist before you needed all of the infrastructure and cameras and live shots and all of that um, in order to get a message out. Everybody can broadcast now from their phone. So is there a way to meld this user generated content with uh, some journalistic principles, some kind of um, like fact check- checking methods, um, or is that still outdated? Is is should we let people post their own stories, and will it sort itself out um, of who are the good writers, who are the good creators? And um, I guess that's that's kind of what TikTok is already doing, and social media platforms like. Um, even on Reddit, you know, um, the stories that are popular that people identify with, they get upvoted. Um, is there a way by like infusing free press with more free press that it balances itself out in some way? Yeah, yeah, I think that's, you know, I think there's something to that for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the, the problem becomes is that it, it's such a, you know, and I'm not just like a naysayer here, but, you know, just the reality is that it's such a double-edged sword and so you know mm-hmm. on, on a lot of channels you know the the QAnon content is is what's floating to the top um yep. whether you know with with that being false uh material so um you know that's part of the problem um I mean actually if, if you go if you go in the comments section of a local news uh website you better bring like a like a hard hat and and some armor because it is very crazy um and and mm-hmm. I, I try not to go to that place very often but it's it's like an infuriating um cesspool of of disgustingness um. yeah <laughs> yeah but it, and and what is always surprising to me um no matter how many times I see it is is like the well-written email that is it, you know they're using proper English like they're you know they're making a point but they're just so far 
far, far removed from actual facts. And it's like, how, how did we get to this point, you know, where we have people living in entirely different worlds of information. And I think, I don't know if you've seen the social dilemma on Netflix. Have you seen that documentary? No, I need to watch it. Yeah. It's so good because it, it just really drills into how social media algorithms have fueled this polarization as well. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. Honestly. Um, it really is really, really is. So we've, we've kind of, I wasn't planning this, but we got to this point and for listeners, you know, I'm not sure exactly when this episode ends up being published, but we're talking here. Um, Caitlin and I are talking on, uh, January 10th, 2021. So this is about four days after the, the Capitol, um, mob, you know, the attacks on the, on the, the Capitol in Washington, And so, you know, then we had, um, what was it, two days ago, you know, the president was, his account was uh, indefinitely or permanently suspended from uh, Twitter. They call it a suspension. Sounds like it's a ban, whatever you want to call it semantically. Mm -hmm. But um, there's been a lot of debate, you know, on social media over whether Twitter made the right decision. And then all of the social media companies who then followed their footsteps, essentially, um, in in basically banning the president, deplatforming the president. Um, and I've heard arguments both ways, you know, me personally, for the first uh, 24 hours, I was very much in favor of it, and even in favor of it happening before it even happened. Um, there was one argument that kind of made me think twice about it, maybe one or two. Um, and one of them was that was actually from on Twitter, uh, Alexei Navalny, who I believe was like the spy who was poisoned. But anyway, he um, wrote a pretty compelling argument for why this was the wrong decision for Twitter to do this. But I'm just curious, what, what's your take on it? You know, was Twitter justified? You know, did they make the right decision in deplatforming the president? That's a, a really good question. And one that I haven't fully worked through. Like you, my initial reaction is, is yes, they made the right decision. I do have a lot of questions about why now? I mean, this isn't the first time that what the president has said uh, could be viewed as instigating violence or instigating uh, actions based on falsehoods, um, on things that have not been proven to be true. So my question for Twitter would be, why now? Um, obviously, this was a really uh, serious attack on on the Capitol. So I get that. Um, you know, it's it's a gray area where we talk about freedom of speech, freedom of the press. Um, and at some point, you know, these are private companies. Um, yes and no, you know, they're, they're private in that they're owned, owned by individuals, they're making money, but also it's a, it's a public platform because so many people use them. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't know, I guess is the short answer right now. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, there are so many social media networks that are popping up I and mean, it's not like he couldn't have uh, another another outlet if he wants to. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a really tough gray area. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about it, yeah, and, and I have very mixed feelings on it. Um, they've become more mixed recently. Before they were pretty straightforward. But I mean, one thing I do think that that is blown out of proportion is the fact that people are like, oh my God, he is now shut out from communication. He has no way to communicate with the world or America. And it's like, wait a minute, you, you guys realize you could, you could literally walk from his bedroom down to the White House press office and give a press conference right now. And you would have CBS, CNN, 
all of them, OAN, OANN, all there in the White House briefing room. And they, they would broadcast that message to the entire world instantly. Mm -hmm. so he is not shut out from communication. Um, he has a press office, um, although they're resigning by the minute, but he, he could just put out a press release. Like, so he's not actually shut out. Um, although, like in some ways he is, because we know that, you know, his, his biggest, probably fastest route to communicate with the world was through Twitter or Facebook or, or what have you. Um, and he's even banned from Pinterest and Spotify. So there's been some incredibly funny jokes on Twitter about, um, you know, now he cannot post his like Pinterest mood board or, you know, can't <laughs> drop his mixtape on Spotify. It's like, what the hell was he going to do on Spotify? But um, mm -hmm. kind of goofy. But uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting question. And um, there's actually a lot of research into this. And so my, I'm, I'm, my goal is to be try to be intelligent about this and actually read some of the the work yeah. on this. There's a woman named Kate Klonick who um, is a professor, you know, and got her PhD at Yale. And her entire body of work of her entire life is online speech, governance, and shaming, you know, and, and researching in that. And so she's written some really good papers on it. And there's a guy mm -hmm. on Twitter named at Alex Stamos, like kind of like John Stamos, um, A-L-E-X-S-T-A-M-O-S, who had a great tweet that says, Dear Journalists, venture capitalists, TikTok teens, and other thinkfluencers before hot taking on how to regulate online speech, please consider reading some of the foundational work in this area. And he says to start with Kate Klonick's foundational work. And that, you know, that was something where I was like, all right, I should probably take a step back here yeah. before I uh, drop my hot take and just like learn about the actual research on it, you know, which is yeah. a lot of thought into it. And, and so but um, it's an interesting topic. And it's something that's not over with, you know, it's going to keep cropping up. And um, you know, the tech companies are obviously very, 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 very powerful. And, mm -hmm. you know, Alexei Navalny, his point was kind of, I mean, he had a, a few points, but one of his points was like, well, why haven't you deplatformed like Vladimir Putin then, or other people who've, you know, basically their words have led to killing and violence. Like there needs to be a standard. There needs to be rules that, that the public is aware of. And right now that is right. not the case. You know, you are just a blind, mm -hmm. like arbiter. We don't know you know, what the rules are. So very fascinating stuff. Um, so we'll get that's kind of a on a more national level, we'll jump back into some more local talk before we end our conversation here uh, shortly. So, um, you know, just quickly, do you think, you know, and these are kind of like 60 seconds or less, but do you think there's a news problem in America or just a local news problem? Both. I think there's, there's both. Local news has funding problems. National news has trust problems. Yeah. Uh, for your new venture outlet, in terms of, I mean, not to get too personal, but like in terms of funding or like raising capital or like how you're going to fund it, was that difficult, scary? How did you do it? You know, as much as you're willing to say. So this was a big concern of mine uh, starting it. Um, fortunately, I'm in a position where I can take a risk financially right now. And I'm looking at this as an investment, like this time that I'm in right now where I'm not making money. This is an investment in the, the future of, of where this goes. So I'm starting with the podcast. I'm doing some writing and, uh, you know, doing some research as far as user generated content and setting up possibly a platform for that as well. So this is research mode and it's, it's an investment. It's not going to make money right away. And so looking at it through that lens um, has allowed me to have more confidence in, in being able to take the risk. Yeah. And there are people on that note, there are people who've, uh, you know, pretty successfully done this actually from local news to basically having their own platform. And the person who comes to mind for me 
And I'm not sure that I'm a fan of his. I think he kind of wades into conspiracy theories, but um, <laughs> but he has a very, uh, you know, big following, pretty big following is a guy named Ben Swan, who was in like Cincinnati, I think, and then basically, you know, got really popular after he did a few stories there that people thought hmm. like, man, this guy's really taking the side of the public, not like, whatever, corporations or the government, you know, and, and doing yep. a good job. And I think he was someone who asked hard questions, did good investigative reporting, and he, he launched his own platform. He has his own thing. It's like Ben mm -hmm. Swan TV. Um, someone who I've, I've admired from that standpoint, although, you know, I haven't really looked closely at his work and the times I have, it seems like it, it kind of really borders with um, stuff that, that's probably not, not good in terms of the way he's fact-checking. Um, but, uh, but it's just interesting to see from the standpoint of, okay, launching your own thing, can it be done? You know, it looks like he's, he's done it. So, um, in mm -hmm. terms of making a living off of it, but, um, it probably can be done. Hopefully it is, you know, it's interesting. I mean, NBC LX is a new, new ish platform. Yep. If you've heard of it. And I have a friend who's part of that, who's been interviewed on, on this podcast, Noah Pransky and, um, who actually used to be the Red Sox, Red Sox mascot at one point in his, in his life. Um, yeah, I know him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Small world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. um, but you know, I think he's doing, you know, they're doing some, some cool stuff with NBC LX and, you know, maybe that's a little bit of a, a vision of the future there. I agree with you that there's something that's going to come out of TikTok or, you know, YouTube. It's just a matter of what it is. You know, it's a matter of what that looks mm -hmm. like, but it's going to be social media based, you know, and, and quick bites of content kind of like what Quibi wanted to do maybe with, 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 uh, poor Quibi, you know, man. Poor Quibi. I think somebody just bought all of their assets for like a hundred million. Um, that was, that was bad. Yeah. So, um, so, so far we're now in January of 2021. You left um, the, your news station in October. Are, are you having fun? Do you, you know, do you miss your TV career so far? And would you consider going back to on-air reporting or anchoring uh, anytime, you know, say in the next five years? Um, I, I don't regret my decision to leave. I'm still a hundred percent certain on that. I, I really have no regrets. Um, am I having fun? That's really funny you asked that question because my husband asked me that the other day and I'm like, wait, am I supposed to have, I am supposed to have fun with this too. You know, I, I think it's easy to get um, bogged down in, in the, the gravity of what you're trying to create or, you know, if you, especially if you believe in it and you feel it's important. Um, so that's one of the things I've been trying to take a step back lately and just making sure that I am enjoying what I'm doing. And, and, um, you know, especially if you're creating something on your own, you're not answering to anybody else. So if you're not having fun, then what are you doing? You know, do something else. So I think that's one thing that I'm trying to, to allow back in is, is enjoyment. I do, you know, I do think it's, it's important, um, for journalists to, to think creatively about our industry and to, to try to solve it. And it, I mean, it seems like you're doing that with your podcast as well. Um, this kind of exploration and, and, and hosting these conversations, which are really important. So, um, but I think you can still have fun with it as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. That's good. Um, and who would you say are like three of your news idols or inspirations, you know, people who you think are doing the right thing, either, you know, historically or present day? Hmm. Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think. So I had idols that I looked up to when I was younger. Um, you know, I always looked up to, you know, the names that, you know, like Diane Sawyer, I always looked up to Diane Sawyer. I don't know her. So I don't know, um, you know, 
what she's like as a person, but I, I, I have admired her, her work growing up. Um, and I remember she was interviewed at, at some point uh, in an article that I read where she talked about um, wanting, to, wanting her work to, to be a powerful witness and to help basically to be, to be a witness and to move the world to help, to, to help people, like to let people know about what's going on so that change can happen. So I, I really, um, I used to think about that a lot as I was going through my career and I, and I still really like those words. Um, I read Dan Rather's book uh, recently, What Unites Us, and I really appreciated his perspective on that. Um, I follow him on Twitter. I think he's still a, um, a trusted voice in, in this crazy world that we're in. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Um, Soledad O'Brien, I don't know if you follow her as well, um, but she launched her own production company um, after she left CNN and she's doing some interesting work there too. Yeah, I really like um, Soledad O'Brien. I've been really impressed with her. Um, I never mm -hmm. met her. I, when I covered um, the Sandy Hook shooting in 2012 in Connecticut, um, I ended up, there. They, they had us all at like a football field nearby, like the high school football field. And I've, I've actually never seen that much, that many media live trucks and, and media in my life. And I've covered some big stories, been at the White House, et cetera, but that was the most. And um, I ended up set up right next to her for live shots, um, which at the time, you know, I was like 26 and it was kind of like an honor. You know, I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. You know, I'm at a deadly, horrible, horrific tragedy. But, you know, right. I'm not going to lie. Like, obviously, there's a part of you you can compartmentalize in your brain. And, you know, part of it was like, this is interesting, you know, that I'm next to Soledad O'Brien. important story. Yeah. Yeah. For CNN. And, um, you know, she did a great job there. And, and on Twitter, she, for anyone who follows her, she puts, she like has a pinned tweet now, I think, where she talks about her mother and how her mother stood up, like wrote a letter to the editor in like the 60s or 50s or 70s, I don't know, and basically like called out, I think it was like redlining or how she got denied for a mortgage or something like that. Mm -hmm. Soledad O'Brien said that was an inflection point for her when she found that letter to the editor that her mother, who is black, wrote to the paper so boldly even with possible repercussions and Soledad mm -hmm. kind of like switched her whole life. It seems like at that point and started just having this like take no shit attitude where she just <laughs> says whatever she wants on Twitter and she calls out yep. everybody. It's unbelievable. I mean, she almost sometimes like, you know, arguably goes too far. I mean, but I don't know yep. by whose metric that would be, but mm -hmm. she has, she really, you know, goes after it now on Twitter and, and um, I respect that a lot. I do too. I mean, she was someone who, you know, could have just stayed in her lane at CNN and, you know, gone on to, you know, anchor there and do whatever. And she was already very popular, but yeah, I, I really respect what she did. I think she really has some foundational morals that she, you know, uh, relies on and sticks to. So, all right. So we'll get to uh, a, a little bit of a lighter, the, the lighter portion of the podcast. We're at the end here. So these are the uh, like rapid fire questions with the idea being that you just kind of spit out the first answer that, that comes to mind. So uh, we'll just jump right into it. So do you, right. um, do you prefer hot coffee or cold iced coffee, cold brew? In Boston, hot coffee. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, what is the, uh, is there any particular show, like fictional show right now on Netflix or HBO that you're streaming? Bridgerton. <laughs> oh man, my wife is addicted to I that know. show. She's watched it four <laughs> times. Um, since she's going to kill me for saying that, but um, it's a good show. The music is is incredible. Anytime you can take Ariana I Grande. I love it. Yes. You take Ariana Grande and make it a string string song. It's uh, it's it's very good. 
Um, all right. Um, any particular book that you, that's impacted you so much that you've actually given it out as a gift before to people, you know, or, or either that or just a favorite book of, of yours? So uh, I'm trying to think. I've done that a lot. Um, sorry, I know this is rapid fire. Uh, first book that comes to mind is uh, The Buried Giant by Ishiguro. And I'm, I'm a big fan of literary fiction. And uh, I just felt like this was really interesting talking about uh, identity and memory and like the stories that that we use to tell ourselves and explain who we are so the buried giant it's called it's called the buried the giant, giant. Mm -hmm. okay. check that out um put that in show notes and um your favorite method of exercising or working out uh peloton right now yeah the other thing with uh making this decision to leave my job i actually had a uh, a really bad knee injury in January skiing. So I tore my ACL, broke my leg um, and tore my meniscus. So I was out of work for four months. Um, so that also gave me some time away from work to be able to have perspective and what I wanted to do. So Peloton is what I'm able to do now. <laughs> yeah, glad you're okay. Glad you're yeah. able to ride uh, the Peloton. And um, yeah, I mean, sometimes it takes a step, a step backwards to, or, you know, a step away for a second to, uh, to gain perspective. I think that's very true. Um, I, what I thought you were going to say was that the station made you work through your injury for a second. Um, <laughs> I, I, no, I, in fact, I wanted to come back um, before my surgery um, and just you know, anchor or do stuff in studio and they were afraid of a lawsuit. So they were mm. like, Oh no, just stay away. So I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had a grade three tear, which is like the, one of the worst tears you can have of your hamstring in, in 2017 ah. or 2018 playing flag football on like Thanksgiving. And, um, the, you know, I was off for like four days and I was going to probably have to get surgery And the station was like, all right, we'll just come on back on crutches and you can still report. I was like, Oh my God. Serious. Like Can you still go live from the hospital. I still went live. It was ridiculous. I would just <laughs> like hide the crutches. It was like, should I even, or should I just show these crutches uh, so the viewers know that I'm doing this, but, um, yeah, right. some crazy stuff in, in the news business. All right. So, um, is other than your own podcast outlet, um, which I assume people can find on like Apple podcasts and. Spotify. Um, what is, what is a, what is a podcast that you find yourself listening to, you know, regularly or, or the most often? Um, recently I've been listening to the daily by New York times. Um, and I also listened to Brene Brown's podcast and, uh, a LinkedIn podcast called hello Monday about oh. career changes. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I, have to, I have to check that one out. I have not heard of that. Um, yeah, Brene Brown is incredibly popular right now. She's having a moment and has been having a moment. Um, people often speak about her wisdom. I, I heard, a, I listened to the interview, like the Tim Ferriss podcast is, is probably like the first podcast I really got into and I still listen to it. And I heard her on the Tim Ferriss podcast and I hated it. I don't know why. I just could, I was like, this is awful. Both of them are just, I cannot deal with this. They're just like shouting platitudes and I, I don't like it. But I did recently mm -hmm. see a quote from her on like the Instagram of like this reporter for, who used to be for NBCLX, Bianca Gralau. I've never met her. Oh, yeah. But um, and it was a quote like she was like a picture of her dad and then like a Brene Brown quote that really hit me. It was like about like Brene Brown said, like, you should not sort of like uh, prepare yourself for something you're worrying about by just being worried now. Like if you're afraid like, I'm afraid that one of my dogs is going to die soon. Like, I'm worried about it. It consumes me. And I'm like, I try to steal myself, like, and get sad now so that I'm not sad then. 
And she's like, do mm. not do that. That is like the worst thing you can do. Just be happy now and be sad if this thing happens. But, you know, and, and it was just like the way she wrote it was so powerful. I've never seen that before. So I've kind of like opened my mind uh, back up to being a Brene Brown fan. On Netflix, if you want uh, to learn a little bit more, she has a, a special on Netflix. Um, that's where I first saw her where she's talking I think it's like an hour long thing um I don't remember what it's called but Brene Brown if you search it on Netflix um you can get a little little more uh insight into what she's all about yeah yeah I would have to like to uh to check that out um what is your favorite food pizza yeah same um pretty pretty lame I know now I always feel like also I mean Indian food um but yeah I mean rapid fire pizza comes to mind I always yep. feel like a 12 year old when I say that, but that's my true answer is pizza as well. I mean, it's my true answer. Yeah. Um, what, do? what was one thing as a reporter that you always made sure you had with you in the field? And I mean, I don't mean like a microphone, but you know, did you always have like, make sure you had a notepad with you or was it just, you know, your iPhone or was it, was there any special tool or something, you know, just like a Kleenexes? Sometimes people have allergies. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know, but was there something you always made sure that you, you had with you? I mean, I never went anywhere without my phone. So that was, I mean, I basically wrote scripts on my phone, did everything on the phone. I, sometimes it was my IFB. So that was definitely always with me. I don't know that I had anything, anything else that was particularly interesting. Yeah. What was your, what's your favorite uh, movie that's about journalism uh, of all time, would you say? Spotlight. It's probably the answer I would give as well. Um, that was a fantastic movie. Um, and also being in Boston, probably even more, uh, impactful for someone like yourself. Um, is there a particular story that you're, you know, I, I guess it's probably hurricane Harvey, but you know, that you're most proud of covering. Um, most proud of also in Houston. Um, I covered the death of Sandra Bland and followed that case from start to finish over two years. And I got to know her family really well. I got to know um, the law enforcement officials that were involved um, at the jail in Waller County. And I think over time, I, I think my coverage of that, I think I'm most proud of that, of just wading through a lot of uh, sensitive and difficult um, situations and facts and opinions and um, working to tell the truest story possible. Yeah, that's, that's, that was a big, big story for sure. Um, and it's interesting the connections you make with sometimes the family members of, you know, people, uh, stories you're covering. Yeah. Um, all right, if you had to listen to one of these two types of music, which would you pick, uh, blues or jazz? Jazz. Uh, rap, hip hop, or country? Hip hop. And would you prefer to use a, you can only use one for the rest of your life, a stick mic or a lavalier, lavalier mic? Love. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Thanks for uh, <laughs> these random uh, rapid fire questions. You know, hopefully, I, I hope these kind of give people uh, just an insight into, you know, guests uh, personality and, you know, just things that they enjoy. So uh, they're always fun. In fact, at one point I, I tried to get rid of the rapid fire questions and someone said, wait a minute, you're not going to ask me those, those fun questions at the end. So I had to bring them back. <laughs> But uh, I should probably uh, come up with some new ones as well instead of the same ones every time. But um, yeah, hey, thanks, Caitlin, um, for being on the Reporter Podcast. You know, very happy to have you. I'm excited to check out uh, your Outlet Podcast and follow 
um, your journey uh, post news. And, um, you know, one thing that's always kind of comforted me is I feel like I could probably get back into news if I if I wanted to. So that's kind of a nice feeling. Um, although I should probably be more careful with what I tweet these days, because it's pretty opinionated. But in any case, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely wishing you uh, great success uh, with Outlet and, and everything else you do. Um, if people uh, hear this and want to follow you or find you on the internet, um, where is the best place to do that? What are your handles on you know various social media? So I'm at Caitlin McCauley, all one word, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, at Caitlin McCauley. Okay. Um, and that is, uh, for those of you who are wondering, it is M-C-C-U-L-L-E-Y. Is that right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if people want to find Outlet, it looks like it is outlet-media.com. Is that the best place to, to look into Outlet? Yeah, that's the website. And if you're looking for the podcast, the best way to find it is to search Outlet Macaulay. It's still kind of new, so it's lower in the search results. But if you search Outlet Macaulay, it'll come up uh, in Apple Podcasts and Spotify pretty quickly. Okay, excellent. All right. Well, um, yeah, like I said, good luck to you with everything. And uh, thanks again for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Please share, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.